Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, everybody, just a heads up. The story I'm about to tell today is not cool. Elements of what I am going to speak about may be disturbing to some listeners, so listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. For many people today, the idea of a mass shooting, while utterly horrific, is sadly not so alien. Every year, and for a while it felt like almost every month, some sort of multiple homicide is reported in the media. It is a sad reality of the world we live in, but the idea of mass shootings or spree killings was very foreign to Canada and Canadians in the late 1960s. And when Matthew Charles Lamb shot four people in Windsor, Ontario, Canadians were completely shocked. Yet, the story of Lamb did not end with his shooting, his arrest, his trial, or even his incarceration. This is Season 6, Episode 14, Canada's First Spree Killer. Today's book recommendation is Will Toffin's book, Watching the Devil Dance. This was published by Biblioasis in 2020. It is a detailed account of the story of Matthew Charles Lamb based on extensive interviews and research, not just about the murder, but the entire story, both a psychological profile and the impact on the victims themselves. Matthew Charles Lamb was born on the 5th of January, 1948, in Windsor, Ontario. He was born into a broken home, the child of a 15-year-old unwed mother and an absent father. His mother eventually abandoned him to family, and Lamb began a rather nomadic life, bouncing between the homes of various family members where he suffered both physical and emotional abuse 
before going in and out of foster care. Disturbing behavior traits made themselves fairly apparent at a young age. Lamb preferred to be alone, having a hard time socializing with people his age. He was known to be quite rough, especially with his cousins. In fact, he even beat up one of his younger cousins so badly that the boy ended up in hospital. As well, later reports suggested that Lamb was bisexual, and as a young man was grappling with his sexuality in a country that still deemed homosexuality a crime, and for many families, even as a sin. This would have further added to his sense of isolation and probably even anger. Lamb attended a variety of different schools, though he always showed a fairly good aptitude for studies, was considered quite intelligent though very much continued to prefer being alone rather than associating with his classmates. Despite his surprisingly good grades, he constantly found trouble at school, eventually being suspended from high school for carrying a knife with him. He never completed his high school studies and instead entered the workforce, where much like his schooling, he would show an aptitude for the work, but within a few months would either quit or be fired. Growing up, Lamb developed a particularly strong hatred for authority, especially aimed at police. In fact, many people recalled Lamb often bragging about his desire to kill police officers. In February 1964, at a Valentine's Day dance, Lamb attacked a police officer that was running security for the event. The officer was talking with another person when Lamb came out of nowhere and jumped the officer from behind, punching him multiple times in the face before Lamb was subdued. For this unprovoked attack, Lamb was convicted for assault and spent six months at a juvenile detention facility. Only months after his release, however, Lamb once again got into trouble. In December of that same year, he broke into a local Windsor store, stealing a shotgun and ammunition before fleeing the scene. When a police officer arrived at the scene and went to scour the area looking for potential clues, Lamb, who was hidden in a gully, opened fire on the officer, thankfully missing. When the officer returned fire, Lamb surrendered. Oddly enough, Lamb had actually been known quite well by the shop owner and had hung around there for some time. To the officer who had been shot at, it seemed as if Lamb had set up an ambush, breaking into the store to draw out the authorities, then lying in wait for the officer to get close. In the aftermath of this event, Lamb was sentenced to two years at the Kingston Penitentiary. While in the penitentiary, it became clear Lamb was not mentally well. But shockingly, instead of sending him to a psychiatric facility, the penitentiary psychologist, Dr. George Scott, actually signed off on Lamb's early release due to good behavior. Fourteen months into his two-year sentence, Lamb walked free on the 9th of June, 1966. Seventeen days later, 
he would commit Canada's first spree murder. On June 25th, Lamb was staying at his uncle's and was babysitting his niece and nephew. He put them to bed, he drank a few beers, and then he fell asleep. Sometime around 10 p.m., he awoke. He grabbed his uncle's shotgun, took a bunch of ammunition, and walked out into the night. Eerily, as Lamb began his unprovoked hunt for a victim or victims, he encountered two young boys, aged 10 and 6. They were playing on the sidewalk. Now, after a moment's hesitation, this strange pause where perhaps he thought about shooting the young boys, he walked around them and continued onwards. He eventually walked past a house that was having a party in their open garage and stopped behind a tree to consider his next move while watching the revelers come and grow from across the street. As he was staring at the party, a group of six people surprised him as they were heading out into the night. Startled, Lamb pointed his shotgun at the group and yelled, Hands up! When 20-year-old Edith Tchaikovsky tried to walk around him, Lamb shot her in the stomach. Edith's sister, Charmaine, who was eight months pregnant at the time, was with the group and watched in horror as Lamb murdered her sister. Lamb yelled, hands up, once again, and when 21-year-old Andrew Woolwich did so, Lamb shot him as well, with the pellets also hitting 21-year-old Kenneth Tchaikovsky, brother to Edith and Charmaine. All of this happened within only a few minutes. Upon Lamb firing for the second time, chaos erupted in the group and everyone scattered. Lamb finally ran as well. He sprinted down the street and then took a hard right into a driveway of a house owned by 19-year-old Grace Dunlop and her new fiancé. He was running towards the driveway screen door, just as Grace Dunlop went to the very same door to check out what she thought were oddly loud firecrackers. As Lamb ran by, he saw Dunlop's silhouette and fired through the screen door, hitting the young woman. Lamb continued running into Dunlop's backyard, traversing a series of connected backyards for several blocks. He eventually forced his way into the house of another Windsor resident, but strangely, once inside, calmly turned around and left without saying a word. He then set up behind a little grassy hill in a nearby backyard and waited for the police to show up. While the sound of growing sirens alerted Lamb to what was clearly the police response to his shooting spree, Lamb apparently got bored of waiting. He left the shotgun and ammunition in the backyard, walked out to the street, grabbed a taxi, and went home. Once home, he immediately fell asleep. It had been less than one hour since he had first left his house. Of the four victims, Edith and Andrew would die of their wounds. Folks, I just want to take a second to let you know that we rely heavily on your donations. If you go to our Facebook page or website, you will see links to PayPal or Patreon. 
Both of these links provide safe and secure ways to donate to the podcast. PayPal gives you the option to donate one time, while Patreon allows you to set up regular preset donations. So, for instance, if you want to donate five bucks for every episode we publish, well, Patreon allows you to set that up. We survive exclusively on your donations, and every dollar donated is extremely helpful in allowing us to continue to bring you this history program as well. On our Facebook page, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast platforms, you can always leave us a rating and a comment. We love to hear from you. So please don't be shy, and thank you to all who have donated. We could not keep doing this without you. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. It didn't take long for the police to figure out who the shooter was because Lamb's own uncle, Stanley Hasketh, was the one who actually called them to report his nephew. You see, Hasketh had come home to see that his shotgun and shells were missing while also, of course, being alerted to the murders that had just occurred. When Hasketh asked Lamb if he had anything to do with it, Lamb calmly said that he might be responsible. Hasketh called the police, and Lamb was taken into custody without any problems. Lamb was charged with the capital murder of Edith Tchaikovsky. Andrew sadly died a few days later of his wounds. Now, if found guilty, this charge would carry the punishment of death a punishment that was actually not abolished in Canada until 10 years later. In preparation for the trial, Lamb underwent numerous psychological evaluations, which would all create an immense amount of confusion when it came to the actual trial. The first psychologist deemed Lamb insane after a one-hour jailhouse interview, and thus unfit to stand trial. Yet the presiding magistrate, was not satisfied with this interview and ordered a second evaluation. The second psychiatrist also found him insane. Yet the court was still not satisfied and ordered a third psychiatric trial, this one at the infamous Oak Ridge facility for the criminally insane, where Lamb was put before a board of five psychiatrists who all found him fit to stand trial. For Lamb's defense team, their entire position was that Lamb was quote-unquote insane and thus should not receive the death penalty for his crimes. It wasn't that Lamb was going to walk free if found not guilty, far from it. If he was found not guilty by reason of insanity, he would be remanded into Oak Ridge facility for treatment, ideally for life. The prosecution's position, however, was that Lamb knew very well what he was doing and should be held criminally responsible. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The trial began 
on January 16, 1967, and in many ways it came down to a battle between two teams of lawyers and their psychiatrists trying to convince an all-male jury of very opposite conclusions. The defense, with the first two psychiatrists who had already found Lamb mentally unfit to stand trial, argued that Lamb was not criminally responsible, while the prosecution backed by the Oak Ridge psychiatrist who found Lamb fit to stand trial, argued that he was indeed responsible, and the death penalty was a just punishment for the crimes he had committed. Despite the fact that Lamb showed no remorse throughout his capture, incarceration, or trial, and despite the fact that Lamb had given very different testimonies to all the psychiatrists who took the stand, when the trial wrapped up on January 20th, the jury found Lamb not guilty by reason of insanity. The police, the media, and the victims and their families were shocked. But the story did not end there. Lamb was remanded to Oak Ridge, where he began years of a very controversial and experimental form of rehabilitation. In fact, Oak Ridge is worth an entire episode of discussion. So I won't go into too much detail here, except to say that it involved in many ways the inmates running the asylum and utilized practices like total encounter capsules, which was basically a group of inmates totally naked and immersed in a sensory deprivation chamber, along with extremely liberal applications of psychedelic drugs. Lamb flourished in this environment. He quickly learned how to navigate the social and political climate of this experimental world and eventually was even promoted to the position of patient therapist. He became quite close with the program director. In fact, there were even rumors within the Windsor Police Department that the two had a physical relationship. Lamb's participation in the program and his good behavior eventually led to his release in 1972. Lamb was a free man. No one in the Windsor Police Department or any of the victims' families were told. Incredibly, once released, Lamb moved in with the program director and his family. He regularly babysat the program director's daughter, helped the program director work on his farm, and became the poster boy for the successfully rehabilitated psychopath from Oak Ridge's experimental program. But Lamb was not content to simply work on a farm. He had bigger plans. He sought to fly to Israel and join the Israeli Defense Force and had been, in fact, buying Israeli war bonds in the late 60s and early 70s. In the fall of 1973, the Yom Kippur War broke out as Israel was attacked by Syria and Egypt, and Lamb saw his opportunity. He soon boarded a flight in Toronto and was on his way to join the IDF, but his dreams would be dashed. Lamb failed the IDF psychological entrance exam and possibly, though we don't know for sure, also failed the IDF background check, which of course would have told the IDF he was a mass murderer recently released from a psychiatric institution. Lamb was not done just quite yet, though. He heard 
that mercenaries were being hired in Rhodesia, modern-day Zimbabwe, to fight in a civil war on behalf of a white-dominated government against black African nationalists. This time, there was no psychological exam or background check, and in 1974, Lamb was welcomed into the Rhodesian military, eventually becoming a commando with the Rhodesian Light Infantry. In May 1976, while on leave, Lamb returned to Canada and in fact returned to Windsor. Dressed in his formal Rhodesian military attire, he visited his uncle and in a sick and twisted moment even observed the funeral procession of none other than Edith Tchaikovsky's grandmother and was even spotted by Edith Tchaikovsky's brother. Everyone still believed Lamb was in Oak Ridge, and this event caused a renewed cycle of trauma for the poor family. Lamb then returned to Rhodesia, but before the year was out, he was killed in a commando raid, in fact, killed by friendly fire. Shockingly, he was given a hero's funeral in Rhodesia until the Rhodesian media did some digging and realized he was none other than Canada's first spree killer. This caused an immense amount of embarrassment to the Rhodesian government struggling to maintain legitimacy in a state that was falling apart. In fact, back in Canada, CBC's Barbara Frum was even going to run a story on this Canadian who had been killed fighting in the Rhodesian military until her show interviewed the very detective who first arrested Lamb. It was then that Frum realized exactly who she was about to do a story on, and the story never ran. In the months following Lamb's death, a number of media stories were run in Canada and the U.S. about how this Canadian murderer got free and ended up in Africa fighting as a mercenary. The issue even made it to the floor of the House of Commons, where Prime Minister Trudeau was questioned openly about how this could possibly have happened. Yet there were really no answers to be given. Eventually, Oak Ridge's experimental program was shut down, but the program directors escaped any real blame, and Lamb, Canada's first spree killer, was forgotten. Though for the victims and their friends and family, the pain continued. And for many of them, the pain continues today. I want to thank you all for listening today. A reminder, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Instagram, and you can find us at our homepage, coolcanadianhistory.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Doc Boris. That's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. Thank you for tuning in and stay cool.